There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, your home for deer hunting news, stories, and strategies. And now, your host, Mark Kenyon. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kenyon. This is episode number 296. And today on the show, Dan and I are breaking down our final plans, gear lists, and last-minute advice for the first hunts of the 2019 hunting season. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast brought to you by Onyx. It is me and the nine-fingered wonder from down under, Dan Johnson. <laughs> Good night, mate. <laughs> yeah, I, w- I wish you talked this whole episode in an Australian accent. Can you do that? <laughs> I, don't, like, I don't even know like the terminologies down there. I, I I would just have to say, good eye, Mike. Yeah, I was going to say, I think you Everything. just used up my whole inventory of Australian phrases, too. <laughs> uh, ah, that bugger. Oh, what about blimey? Blimey? Or is that English? Bugger. Like, ah, oh, he was a he was being a real bugger. I don't know. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> what, what I'm hoping we can talk about today, Dan, okay. is hunting season eve. Like everything that happens just before your first hunt of the year, because I leave today for North Dakota and I'll start hunting in two days. My first whitetail hunt of the year is in two days. Now, when this airs, it'll be, I'll be in the middle of that hunt when this actually goes out. But when we're recording, it's two days before my hunt starts and you correct me if I'm wrong, but I think your first hunt of the year will start the day after this airs. That's right. I'll be driving to Colorado. Perfect. So I've got the North Dakota whitetail hunt. You've got a Colorado elk hunt. I thought we could walk through, you know, what that week or couple days before you leave for that trip looks like, all the things you're trying to get in order, all the things you're thinking about. Excuse me, I'm burping over here from my... You ever had one of these uh, bubblies? Bubbly, like a white claw? Kind of like White Claw, but it's uh, non-alcoholic. It's like LaCroix, but it's oh yeah, yeah, bubbly. It's I know like what those are. Carbonated oh, water. It's very I good. Drink, I drink coffee before noon. I have like two glasses of water, and then I switch to hard liquor. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Around 1 o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> you're not kidding. I don't think you're kidding. <laughs> no, dude. I, no, I'm kidding. Like, I do drink a lot of coffee, but then like at noon, I shut it off, and I drink... Uh, I drink water, and then at night, I'll have a, a beer or, or a, a nice glass of whiskey. There you go. Since having Everett, I've started drinking coffee later into the day. I'm oh, now, yeah. Yeah, I'm now drinking, like, dinner coffee, which I always thought was a weird thing when old people did that, and now I totally get it. <laughs> yep. You got to stay awake to watch the 6 o'clock news, and oh, then yeah. you can fall asleep after it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I need that 6 o'clock news. So, so I want to talk about what we drink in the evenings. I want to talk yeah. about... Uh, the gear we're bringing for these trips. I want to talk about like our final archery prep before the first hunt of the year. I want to talk about uh, the strategies that we each have going into that first hunt um, and kind of lining out our plan, our contingency plans, plan A, plan B, plan C, kind of line everything up. So number one, everyone will kind of know 
what we personally are getting into so they can follow along with that story, see what we thought before the hunt, and then we'll have to go come back and do a podcast after our hunts and recap how it ended up going, if we were right or wrong with our ideas, what we learned. Um, and then I'm also thinking probably people can learn some things from our process as we talk through the things we're trying to do, the things we're thinking about, the gear we're packing. That might help other people get set for their first hunt. Yep. So you are about one week from your first hunt. How are you feeling? Well, from a physical standpoint, man, I've been, I've been killing the trails. Um, you know, this running thing that we started doing, right? We, you started running, man. I just, I got to a point with running where I, it must be probably a little age, probably the wear and tear in my body throughout the years where my cardio was getting a lot better. Um, I, my legs were getting stronger. So let's, I'm going to break down the three mile runs and how they kind of went. Okay. The first mile is just my muscles warming up basically, right? Just like getting warm up. The second mile is pretty good. Feeling great. You know, like my cardio's in check. I'm not like huffing and puffing. I don't have to stop, but somewhere around the three mile, like the start of the three third mile, my, my lower back would hurt. My hip would hurt and my knees would start to hurt. And, and it wasn't just like a, let's run it through let's try to run it off type of pain. I've had multiple knee surgeries. Um, I think that has led to, uh, the hip problem with me not being able to extend my knees the way they need to be. Uh, some of it's probably eight years in a office chair, you know, at compound, all those things. It's just not good. So (laughs) I've transitioned into a hike routine now to where I'm putting like 60 pounds on my back. And then I, I just, there's this small little loop at a local state park and it's got a good decline and a really good incline. And I either am just walking in a big circle a lot for like an hour or two hours, or I'm just going up and down the hill, up and down the hill and just trying to get my legs as burnt out as possible. And that's feeling, you're feeling pretty good after that? Yeah, no, like for some reason, adding the weight it's probably the jarring of running, yeah, right? That impact really the gets impact. You. Yeah. So there's that. Uh, and then th- basically just the run or the, the hike itself is very low impact other than, you know, I have the weight on my back, but I'm not like, j- there's no jarring movement. Uh, and that's, uh, that's easier on my body and I'm still getting the, the, um, heart rate increase by walking up that big hill. And I, and I try to do it at a, at a good clip, nothing, you know, I'm not running, but I'm trying to do it quick. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's still going to get you well prepped for season. No yeah. doubt about that. You're doing a little bit better than me because the last two weeks I've seriously lost, lost mm-hmm. the momentum on our, on our challenge because the, for the last two weeks I've had a camera crew out here filming all day, doing a bunch of work on a farm. And it's just been like, just kind of, really hard to find time to get out in the morning because we're getting out and filming at like six thirty or seven in the morning and i've been getting home at six and then try to spend a couple hours with my son and go to sleep next morning doing more stuff um so i've only i think the last two weeks i should have done a minimum of six three mile runs i think i only did two or three yeah so that that was a bummer but i'm hoping sounds like excuse dude i know i know as i as the words (laughs) leave my mouth as the words leave my mouth i just shake my head at myself Right. Everything sounds like an excuse though. I mean, cause the other day, man, I went like, others, I was on a roll. I shot my bow. I was shooting my bow every day and I was, I was, you know, you know, I was, I was happy that I was shooting my bow and I, it was like eight o'clock at night and then it's, uh, or seven thirty or something. And then a storm rolled in and it got dark real quick. So I couldn't shoot my bow and I came up and I was like, ah, well, I was talking to someone. Wow. I, couldn't shoot my bow because of this. Well, I could have done it other times throughout the day or I could have changed the schedule or I could have made it work if I forced it, but I don't know. I just, I didn't. And it's just like, there's, there comes a certain point at when you're a man that you can't even say things like that. You shouldn't even say things (laughs) like that anymore because it's, it is just an excuse. Mm -hmm. Just got to own it. Yeah, absolutely. So for me, the last six weeks, since I got home from our Western trip, I've been trying to shoot at least every day of the work week. So at least five right. times a week I've been shooting. 
And I was really good on that until just this last like week and a half, two weeks. And I'd say it's probably been every other day during that period. But still right. feeling pretty good. But I think this is a good thing to touch on here leading up to your first hunt of the year. You know, really try to ramp up how much I shoot. Um, shooting a minimum of, I don't know, half hour a day or something like that. Just trying to get reps in and keep like your muscles feeling good and everything like that. Yep. And then more recently, I started switching to trying to shoot more in a situation similar to what I would be in um, in an actual hunt. So I've, I've got a metal pole in the back of my barn, kind of like a stripper pole, I guess you could say. And yep. um, I hook up my tether for my saddle on that, and I can actually sit in my saddle from this pole and shoot at my targets behind the house with that. So I've been shooting from the saddle to try to prepare for the actual hunt situation here recently. Um, that's one thing I'm doing here at the very end, just to try to replicate those exact scenarios, replicate shooting from some different angles. Um, what else, if anything, are you doing in the final days, um, as far as trying to get zeroed in before the hunt or how are you doing? You kind of alluded to some stuff from an archery standpoint. Do you have anything on like what your final archery situation is looking like as we're seven days out from the first hunt? Yeah, dude. Um, uh, this is hard to admit, but I've I've kind of come across a problem recently, and I have no idea what the hell's going on. The month of July, I was shooting. I bet you there was only six days in the month of July that I didn't hunt, that I didn't shoot my bow, and that was because we went on a little uh, vacation. Uh, and then uh, August, it kind of continued. Um, I was shooting at least four. Uh, four or five days a week up until a week and a half ago. I'm not sure what, what has happened, but my accuracy, I cannot get my pin to settle on the target anymore. And I've been shooting a lot this year. You know, I had, I had a, that Texas hunt. I had to just, I had to start preparing for the hunting season that much earlier. Right. And I don't, dude, I don't know. It, it is, it is, it is a mind job. Like it is messing with me mentally. And so, you know, I draw back, I get settled and I just cannot like that routine's not there anymore or something's not there anymore. The, and then, and then because you're not settling well and it's getting your mind, then it's like the pins kind of floating left or right floating, or up down. Yep. And then as soon as the pin hits the bullseye, you try to slam the the pin or the the trigger down so you hit it just right right so i'm trying there's there's times where i'm trying to anticipate the shot yeah right i'm trying to you know i'm trying to time it which is bad i know but there's also times where july and early august i was not having this problem i was you know 60 yards probably the size of a softball for my groups that's pretty good if yet for me uh you know i'm hitting I'm hitting real tight. Uh, even, even earlier this week, Monday and Tuesday, 20, 30, 40, really good, you know, kind of like really good groups step back to 50 and 60 something's happening. And I just cannot. And and then I had a conversation with, I, I, I actually called up Andy may yesterday and I'm like, I expressed this with him and he kind of walked me through things to try and things to do. And I think that got into my head. And now I am like, I'm, I'm shanking 20 yard shots. Yeah. It's that once you, once it gets in your head, I mean, this is exactly what I was dealing with last year. Yeah. Cause I started trying to rethink everything and got really into my head. And, and that's when I tr- was trying this new process with a, with a index finger release still. And then finally I had to say, you know what? I just have to tear it all down. Yeah. And this year start went to the back tension. I wonder if you're kind of experiencing some, something similar to that. Yeah, so I would say undoubtedly this is some form of target panic. Yeah. So it sounds I try like- I can't even get a group tight enough to a consistent group tight enough right now uh on the 50 and 60 range to attune my sight because I don't know like it could be left, it could be right, it could be high, it could be low. Um I know my bow is on because I will still execute perfect shots. What I what I would say. But a group of 4 I'm not, I'm not hitting the grouping that I, that I should be right now. So I talked to another guy 
and I said, uh, dude, what do I need to do? And he, right now he goes, dude, just set your bow down for a day or two. Yeah. Put it, put it down, walk away from it. Try not to think about it. But this is where the dilemma hits. I'm going to his, I'm going to this guy's house on Sunday to have him basically evaluate my shot. He's a really good archer. Um, he lives near me, so I'm heading over and I want him to break me down, evaluate it. The thing that I can't stop thinking about is I leave next Friday, just over a week to elk hunt. And I need to be on point for that. Right. Or I have to start making like, say, well, dude, you're not taking a shot past 40 yeah, or you're not taking a shot past 30 or, or something like that. And I don't want that to happen. So I'm taking active steps right now to try to educate myself and get other people involved to help me fix this problem. And hopefully and the, the crappy thing about it is I have to fix this problem with the equipment that I currently have. Right. Because I can't switch to a back tension release right now. Yeah. Not or seven I, days out. Yeah. Seven days out. And my equipment, like I need a longer draw length on my bow if I'm going to go to a, a back tension release. Right. So it's, I'm a little frustrated, but I, I don't know what I need to do. I need to chill out. I need to like uh, get man. it out of my head. Yeah, I think you're it it's embarrassing to talk about. It's almost like erectile dysfunction. I was going to say this is like ED for bow hunters. <laughs> right. Right. Well, this is a safe place, Dan. And <laughs> you know, 6 out of 10 men deal with this challenge and yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> we can get something discreetly sent to your house that will help. I need a pill. <laughs> yeah. I wish they made a pill that would improve your accuracy. Hell yeah. I'd be popping that every day. I'd be taking two pills every day then. <laughs> Um, I think your, your, your buddy's right. Take a day or two to just kind of try to step away from it and then, and then see what he thinks. And then I, I would just, even if, you know, he helps point out a couple things and all of a sudden you're shooting pretty good again, I would like for whatever it's worth, my two cents would be, do not be afraid to restrict yourself more from a range perspective. Like, oh yeah. Don't go out there thinking like, well, I got to shoot 50 or 60 yards because that's what elk hunters always do. You know, I mean, you know what happens when we make these mistakes in the field. Um, don't feel bad going out there and saying, you know what, I'm not going to shoot past 40 or I'm not going to shoot past 30. Because if just doing that will improve your confidence. Just that, actually, being in the woods. So all of a sudden, your 30-yard, 40-yard shot, you're going to feel better. I know when you're going to take that sixty, that first shot at, or hopefully your only shot at 60 a week from now, even if you're shooting okay in the field – it's still going to be a little bit less than ideal because this is like a little virus that gets in your brain. It's going to be hard yeah. to completely shake. So just yeah. be a badass at stalking. Get close to that some bitch. Um, and you'll be, you'll be fine. Yeah. Like I know that where I'm going in the elk woods is not, I'm not going to have a 60 yard shot. It's deadfall all over. Right. I mean, I'm not going to have a 60 yard shot. And if I do, um, there's a chance I'm not even going to take it just because of the places that we're going that have the ability to have a 60 yard shot. The terrain is just, it's like way up or it's way down and it just, um, I don't know. So, you know, just if I'm comparing last year to this year, I, I probably won't even have a 60 yard shot. What's concerning me is the South Dakota hunt mm, where, yeah there's no terrain or there's no obstructions right other than the terrain yeah so there's a good chance that i'm going to have to make a 50 yard shot right so um i want to get this bug beat well hopefully by the time i leave for this elk hunt but for sure by the time i want to leave for this uh, uh for the mule deer hunt and I, what i've learned is the past 5 days i've tried to shoot it out of this and I don't think you can sh- just shoot out of this, a problem like this. Yeah. You might want to even just like, and maybe Andy recommend this too, like just tear it back down to basics for a few days and just like blind a bail shoot. Mm-hmm. Just work on getting a good, perfect release without worrying about aiming at something. Just shoot yep. at five yards and just shoot a hundred times at, and just feel comfortable getting that unanticipated release. Not this like panicky, got to hit it right when it touches the bullseye. Um, just simply feeling good with that might be a nice place to start, but yeah, I yeah. will, uh, I won't give you 
I won't be the third or fourth person telling you what to do. You just do whatever right. your buddy tells you and, and stay, stay, uh, stay strong, have faith. You'll get out of it. Yeah. I'm, I'm confident. I just need to shake this little bump. It just kind of freaks me out. Cause this is the first time I've ever had anything like this happen. Yeah. Well, hey, I can definitely relate. I know that feeling. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time, Seafoam Motor Treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that Seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. And it's really simple. When you pour it into your gas tank, Seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can into your gas tank and let it do its job. Now, you probably know someone who's used a can of Seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. Because people everywhere rely on it to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. So, help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And as often is the case, those guys were onto something because organs are among the most nutrient rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from heart and soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised grass-fed and finished cattle heart and soils unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean convenient taste-free capsule find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. So what about you, man? I mean, like, you've you've been shooting your bow a lot, preparing for this. But what about the gear on this uh, North Dakota hunt? What's, yeah. the, what's the prep from, from a gear standpoint? You know, it's kind of cool. I feel like the, I just finished packing my truck, and... I feel like there's not nearly as much gear as I used to have to take on these trips, which mm-hmm. is kind of a nice thing. Um, because you know what these trips are, are going to hold? I know what these trips entail. I've kind of been able to minimalize my setup. So I know, like, I know exactly what I need. I don't need to bring anything extra. So I've got, you know, I've got this truck bed uh, organizer. So one side has got like a little area with like kitchen stuff because I'm camping out my truck on public land this whole time. So I've got like some basic kitchen and cooking stuff. I've got room in this big drawer for a little portable table, a camp chair, um, sleeping bag, sleeping pad, and that's all in one drawer. And then the left drawer, I've just got my basic hunting accessories. Um, So I've got my binos and bino harness. I've got my release. I've got extra broadheads, extra field tips. I've got my little wind checker. I've got a grunt tube just in case. I've got um, oh, a couple pull-up ropes, and then I've got my saddle, my saddle tether, my lineman's belt, and my platform, one set of sticks, and then a couple tripods because I'm going to be doing a lot of glassing and scouting from a distance on this hunt. So I've got one tripod with a spotting scope. Um, that I'm going to put a phone scope attachment on so I can see and film deer through my phone. And then I've got another little tripod with a set of 18 power binos, um, these Kaibobs from Vortex. And I used those on that Mexican hunt, Mexico hunt last year. And man, I had no idea how nice that could be. Like super high power binos on a tripod when you're doing this kind of hunt. Like for your South Dakota hunt, you might want to get a tripod for your binos because that just makes glassing... It's hard I got to, a spotting scope. I got a Vortex spotting scope this oh, year. Oh, nice. That'll definitely so, be good. Yeah, it's a little heavy, but, you know, out where we're hunting there, I don't think it's going to be a big a big issue. Uh, yeah. I got the I got a, our main Frodo uh, yeah. tripod with the spotting scope. So I, th- I think that's going to replace my binos as far as a 
uh, you know, a, a glassing perspective this year. Yep. I will say though, you might just want to get the binocular attachment too. So you can okay. actually pop on the binocular onto the same tripod. So you could pull off the spotting scope and put your binoculars on them. Because what I found for whatever it's worth, the spotting scope is great for like zeroing in on something real far and like getting a great look at it from a distance. So let's say you see a buck and you're like, is that a shooter or not? Put the spotter on it and you can really zero in, but it's not easy to scan. It's really hard to right. scan for long periods of time with a spotting scope. With the binos on a tripod, you can sit there and scan for hours. Just go left to right, left to right, right to left, left to right, and just scour a piece of terrain. And right. it's crazy how much it helps to have it on a tripod. I never believed it until I started using it last year, and it makes like a monstrous difference with how clearly you can see things far off. And this is when you're like yeah. when you're looking 500 yards away or right that kind of thing like it makes big big difference so keep that in mind you can get the little attachments yeah. they're pretty cheap um then you'll just be able to interchange between your spotter and your binos yeah but that'll be idea. huge that'll be huge for me on this trip because i'm just going to sit up on top of hills and glass these river bottoms every morning and the first evening when i get there and try to figure out what's going on but uh but yeah so a spotter and binos two tripods a little uh like glassing pad little like, crazy creek chair that uh you can it's, I don't know. You ever heard of one of these? It's like uh, kind of like those stadium seats, those fold-up stadium seats. That yeah, it's like a lawn chair with really short legs. No legs, actually. In this no case. legs, no okay. legs. So it's just basically like a, a butt pad and a back pad connected by like straps. Right. Um. So I'll, I'll use that to sit out there and glass. Um. You know, I'm using that back tension release, the silver back. Um. So I'm bringing that. Um. My bow, arrows. What's the temp supposed to be like up there it's as not, far as the, the gear that you're – the clothing you're going to be wearing? Yeah, so it's going to vary. Um, the hottest day looks like could be up in the upper 80s, and the coldest it could get in the mornings um, in the upper 40s. So it's going to range from upper 40s to upper 80s. Um, there's going to be some days with like highs in the high 60s, so I'm, I'm looking forward to those high 60, low 70 yeah. temperatures for the highs those will be some good days but there's like one or two real hot ones but mostly i'm wearing like a a wool pant or a light um just like a light wool pant you know this is gonna be pretty warm weather so first light's got it's called the obsidian i'm gonna rock that and then um and then up top just a single light base layer wool base layer long sleeve just to be camouflaged but uh but lightweight and then i'll have like a little lightweight um vest just in case it gets cool you know, in the mornings yeah but overall planning for hot weather i've got rain gear i'm bringing um got a warm hat just in case a freak cold front moves through and it's cooler in the mornings than it looks like right now but overall pretty pretty minimal stuff just a handful of base layers a couple light pairs of pants one warmer jacket just in case yeah um and man like that's it i mean and I guess my, I got one big cooler, so I've, I'm bringing out food and drinks and stuff. And then if I kill something, I've got a cooler, bring the meat back. And I am bringing out a little generator because I'm trying to work out there and trying to keep my computer charged, trying to keep like a Xonix batteries charged, that stuff. So I'm going to bring a little generator. Um, but all of that can fit, all that's going to fit in my drawers except for the cooler and the generator. Yeah. Um, and then I've got the whole rest of the back of my truck to sleep in to be there. Um, and then just like my basic clothes, I got a little duffel clothes. Yeah. Um, it's going to be, it's going to be you're running sweet. solo on this. Yeah. I mean, Andy may was possibly going to go and then he couldn't. And then Spencer was going to go and then he bailed last week. So now I'm going solo. Awesome. Yep. Cool. Um, no, an interesting thing. I just, just popped on my, my sticks. I'm bringing my lone wolf sticks out here yep. and, um, tethered the same company that makes the saddles that I'm rocking, um, they just released this thing called their Versa Strap, which is basically a strap that you can use on your sticks or something like that um, that replaces the strap with the big buckle on it. So okay. this way, it's a it's a buckleless strap. Basically, it's it's a I can't remember exactly what kind of fabric this is made of, but it's, it's incredibly high strength, high tensile strength strap fabric. That then yeah. has loops, different loops at all these different, like every inch is another loop, another loop, another loop, another loop. 
And so what you just basically do is you put your stick up against the tree, you wrap the Versa strap, well, you put one side of the Versa strap over that button on your lone wolf stick. You know what I'm talking about? Where the yep. strap would usually yep. go. Yep. And then you just wrap it around the tree and you're keeping it you know, perfectly uh, straight up and down. And then you just pick the loop that it would be the tightest on. You pop the loop over the button again as tight as it can go and then just crank your stick down. And then it's on there super tight, and you don't need to have a buckle that you have to tighten down and crank and always worry about banging around. Because that's like the one thing I hate with my sticks. Even though I try to tape them, you still can get those little metallic clinks and clanks, you know? And so these little straps I just popped on today, I'm buckleless. So I just tighten down all the steps of my lone wolf sticks to make sure everything's real quiet and cinched down real good. And I threw the Versa straps on, so I've got no buckles now. So I'm feeling pretty stealthy. I'm going to slip out there with my sticks. I've got uh, got my saddle. I'm going to slip into a tree real quiet, real quick, and be hunting without you know needing to tote around a bunch of stuff. So awesome. I'm, uh, I'm excited from that perspective. And then, you know, that's all there is to it. I did bring some game bags in one of my bigger backpacks. So if I do kill one out there, I'm just going to quarter it out and hike it out because this – this I'm probably gonna be hiking in a minimum of a mile, if not a couple miles in for these these hunts. And a lot of times you have to climb some pretty serious bluffs and cliffs to get out of the river bottom. Um yep. so I don't want to try dragging one out of that. So that's what's in my truck right now. Cool, dude. Is this a is a is this a place that you've shed hunted before or not? Yeah, this is the shed yeah, hunting okay. spot. Yeah. All right. All right. So, so no, you're hundred percent saddle now. I mean, you're not, you're not going, uh, the, the land of the tree stand anymore. Yep. The only time I'm using tree stands is like where I, where I already have like a semi-permanent setup, you know? So on a, like a couple properties that I've always had stands up, those are still there. That's easy. Um, but for my new running guns, it's just a lot easier. Just run the saddle. So yeah. that's and so like in five years, are you going to say, dude, I was hunting with a saddle before it was cool. I think I'm too late even to say too that. Too late to the party. Okay. <laughs> I think, right. I think you could say I started saddle hunting when it be, when it became cool. Maybe. Gotcha. <laughs> I, okay. I think I hit it just as it was becoming, but uh, but you need to you need to give it a try. I've got I can get you an extra one if you want to give it a shot. I don't know, man. I I just can't like number one first. You know, like kind of going back to. Uh, what you said about the straps and the mods that a lot of people do and, you know, trying to go ultra light and, you know, like for me, man, even if I'm walking two miles into a tree, into a set, which I never do because my farms are just laid out different and the public ground that I go and I hunt on doesn't, I don't need necessarily to walk, let's say like two miles. I can see where a real light setup would be awesome. Let's say in Virginia where these guys are basically climbing a thousand up and down to try to get a couple miles into their, you know, uh, to their tree stands. But for me, like the added weight just doesn't bother me that much. I mean, I used to be the guy who was carrying camera equipment with me all the time. Right. And all this other extra gear and it just like one or two pounds and stuff like that never bothered me on top of that. All these mods that people are doing, that's cool. I get it. You know, it's awesome. I love that you, that people are excited about that. But for me, like, I guess I've never been the kind of guy who made a crap ton of noise setting up a tree stand. Don't get me wrong. There's times where a little dink might happen, but I, I feel like I'm fairly um, observant and about the noise that I'm making. And I don't need like all the straps and the tape and the stuff, the, the second, the, the accessories or the secondary market type things on my, on my stand. So I, I don't know. I, 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 I don't personally do that stuff, but I can, I understand why people do. Yeah. Fair enough, man. I, uh, I hear what you're saying and there's definitely like something we said about, you've got a comfort level with your setup and if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I get that right. too. So, and me like a strong wind and a saddle, I'd probably just be like wrapped around that uh, tree like a tetherball. <laughs> I think I'm trying to convince you to try a saddle just because I want to see your big ass up swinging <laughs> in that tree like that. <laughs> Bitching about my knees hurt uh-huh. or something like that. Yep. 
<laughs> it'd be something. <laughs> so, so that's my setup. That's what I'm bringing out there. Um, you know, relatively simple. What about you? What do you, what are you bringing on your hunt? And so I have the luxury of hunting. I'm this elk hunt. I'm hunting out of an actual cabin, right? There's no electricity. Uh, there's no running water or anything like that. It's just a, uh, four square walls and a roof in uh, four walls and a roof up in the mountains. Right. So that's where I get to come home to every night. So for me, I'm, I'm bringing everything for this, right? I just in case, right? I don't have to worry about weight. I don't have to worry about only being able to carry this much stuff or whatnot. So I have the luxury of bringing all my gear with me. I have a big, it's called a Bronk box. Have you ever heard of them? I have heard of that. Yep. So it's this big, almost like a giant Yeti cooler, but it's just a box that you can keep your gear in. There's some dividers in it and whatnot. So I'm, I, I load one of those all the way up. I have my bow case, uh, that I put all my archery equipment in and then, uh, a couple extra duffel bags for, let's say clothes around camp, you know, some additional tennis shoes, like my hygiene products, toothbrush and a uh, contact solution and stuff like that. So I'm able to get away with bringing everything. Um, now, when I actually load up and head into the mountains, I mean, did you want me to get into detail about that? Sure. What's in your pack when you head into the mountains? So it's, that's pretty simplified because I do get to come home every night to a place like not necessarily a drop camp. I have everything I need for the day. So in my pack is my raincoat, uh, my basically bars and apple for the day. Um, I'm usually running about five, uh, liters of water. I have two, uh, bladders that I, that I run. You're carrying five liters in each day. Yeah, dude. It's a I shit mean, ton of water. I drink all of it. That's a lot of water. Oh crap. Dude, I, and that's I, just for, for a day. Like that's your day hunt every morning. So you have five I'm, nail jean bottles with you. No, I have bladders. I'm where you're at, but I mean the equivalent of five nail jean bottles. That's five yeah. liters. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> so but but I'm telling you, good dude, for you, man. <laughs> I am. I I do not want to get sick. And you so don't I'm, care about weight now. Now I really understand. You don't care about extra weight. <laughs> well, I do, right? I'm, but like, water's important. True. So I'm not bringing in a ton of other stuff. I have game bags that I I have in there. I have a raincoat and I have my food for the day. Um, I have uh, on my pack, right? And that's that's really it that's in my pack right i have a binocular case that holds my release um i'm taking two trekking poles i have uh my vortex range finder i have my vortex binoculars which binos are you running oh man i got them i got them like five years ago uh razor hds or something like that okay yeah those are nice Uh, yeah so those and then um uh, i have a cow call and that's all kind of packed into my a bino case. They have a little pocket on yeah. the side of them. And what kind and of cow call are you using? Are you using a reed or are you using a like a big hand call? Uh, I'm using it. It's not a big hand call. It fits in my hand uh, and it's it has a reed in it, but it's not a diaphragm. That's what I mean. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So uh, I'm using one of those. And then this year I bought a bugle tube, which... You want to see a lot of neighbors come outside of their door here in Iowa, <laughs> outside my front yard. I was sitting in my garage practicing my bugles the other night, and like five neighbors all came out to see what the hell was going on. <laughs> so I, I got my bugle tube, um, and that's going to be kind of wrapped around my waist or uh, around my shoulder so I can easily get to it if I need it. And then my bow, right? I got my prime with my day six arrows so real heavy arrow um my wasp broadheads and fixed or mechanical uh fixed okay fixed dude i got it i'm sticking with fixed for a while yep and uh, 125 grains or 100 100 100 right now i but my total arrow weight is 512 gotcha this year um other than that just like my boots are crispy. I'm, I invested in some gators this year. Mm. Uh, so, because one thing that w- I was walking through the grass and even some, uh, one crick that runs down the mountain and my boots didn't 
my socks didn't get wet, but my pants would get wet. And once they get wet, they kind of went up and it would take, they still dried out throughout the day, but I, it was still a little uncomfortable, you know, having the, you know, from the boot to the bottom of your calf, just like that six inches wet. So I bought some gaiters, hopefully to alleviate that problem. And then I'm running some alpaca and wool socks. I'm running, uh, you know, some Sitka apex hoodie. I'm running a, then the Sitka mountain pants, the Sitka mountain jacket. I have, a uh, an insulation. Uh, my insulation layer is the Calvin lightweight vest and then just a regular hat. And that's really it, man. What game bags do you use? Okay. So I have a, I have some that I, I wore, but some dude actually sent me some in the mail and it's called, uh, Grack Shaw, G R A K K S A W. And they're reusable. Huh? So they're actually made from the same material that your tent tarp or the, the cover of your tent would be the rain tarp. Okay. So it's really lightweight. They all have uh, toggles on them so you could zip it shut. And, um, so I'm going to be bringing those with me. And then, uh, I also have some, just like those cloth game bags that are pretty much disposable yep. as well. But these game bags look pretty sweet. So I'll be, and I guess, yeah, those game bags will be in, in there with me too. So nice. So do you guys have like beds and sheets and like really nice sleeping accommodations as Kevin? No, no sheets, but there is a mattress. Gotcha. Um, that, that has like, when we get there, we got a, it's in like a, this latex, it almost looks like it's a condom for a bed, for a mattress. So then we take that off and then we just put our sleeping bags on top of that. So yes, we get a lay on a mattress every night, which is awesome. That is nice. I, uh, I rock. That just made me think of like my camping gear. The mattress I'm using is much different than that. I've got a little Thermarest Neolite and, um, just a small, like the little backpacking inflatable one. Um, and then you bring a back or a sleeping bag. Yep. What's your bag these days? So, um, I got it right here. Let me check. It is a Alps. It's an Alps. Uh, what degree rating? Uh, neg- negative 20. Whoa. I think. Or no, wait. It's either negative 20 or zero. You'll be toasty. Yeah. So, but I'm telling you, man, it gets cold up there. Yeah. What's the night. expected temperature range out there? So, let's see. The last day that we were there last year was, uh, it was like 80 the day we left the mountain. But every morning walking up, it was like 35 degrees in the mornings. Uh, and then it would, you would, you get up to about the fifties. So there's parts where when you're in the shade, you're doing a lot of getting dressed and undressing. Right. So I, I can remember the one day, uh, the, one of the, like the third day of the hunt we hike in. Right. So all I'm doing is wearing my base layer top and my pants. And then we get there and I instantly start to get cold. Right. So I got to put on my insulation I got to put on my uh, shell and that, that keeps you warm, but then you start moving again, then you're too hot. So you got to take all that off, put it back in your pack and you're just doing that. Whenever you stop, you need, cause that, I, I remember one time we set up and I didn't put, I was really hot and I didn't put my insulation layer back on. And I got at the end of the calling sequence, I was almost shaken cause I was so cold. And that happened in, that was like high forties. And for that, by the, by the time that was all happening for that morning hunt and it kind of makes you realize like, that's why layering is so important because you have to control, you have to control it. If I didn't have anything up there, man, I would have had to go back down to the, to the cabin. Yeah. When you're way out there, it's that much more important. Yeah. And you're, like you said, such a variable activity levels and that kind of hunt got to be, be able to adjust with it. No doubt about that. So speaking of varying activity levels and stuff and going down from the cabin or heading out in the morning. Do you have like uh now this is your second year hunting this place. Do you guys have like a very specific game plan going into day one? Like, do you know what you're going to do? Or are you showing up and just going to stand outside the cabin and figure it out? Yeah. So I think there, there's like 
there's one big area that has multiple spots in it. And then there is another area that has two big area that has two other spots. And what I mean spots, I mean, these meadows at the top of the, at the, almost the top of these mountains, right? We're talking, we start off at about 10,200 feet is where the cabin is. And then we're getting up to about 11.3, I think was the highest we got last year. So, um, we know what we're doing. It's just a matter of where we're going, if that makes sense. So we'll, we'll either go to spot A or we'll go to spot B and then we'll work these meadows, uh, throughout this face of this mountain. So, so you, so you know of a handful of these meadows, right? Tell me like what you're doing. Let's say it's early morning, first day you decide we're going to go to meadow A. What does that actually mean? What does your morning hunt look like? working your way to a or do you do you hike in before daylight and get to yeah. a at daylight and then like what do you actually do in that first okay day? so we're leaving Let, let's i'm just gonna walk you through what we did the most last year so wake up eat breakfast get dressed what time you know, like how how long before daylight is this we're talking about an hour before daylight okay. we're leaving we're leaving an hour before daylight gotcha it takes us roughly 40 minutes to an hour to get to our first stop where it's now we can start seeing things, right? It's, it's gray light. And, um, just, you know, first it's so loud in the Crick when we're walking in it, you can't hear anything else except the Crick. You get up off on the first, uh, this first plateau kind of this bench, then you can start the, the Crick noise goes away. Then you can start listening, right? That's when we start to call right up, right away. And we're not to the first meadow yet. We're calling on our way into the meadow or setting up for the first listening, watching, and then moving our way up to this first meadow. And then we'll set up an, another calling sequence, work our way up the meadow, do another calling sequence. Cause these meadows are real long. They're basically avalanche shoots that, um, it either an avalanche has destroyed all the trees coming on the way down and that's where the grass has grown up or just over time, there may be a mudslide or a rock slide or, or straight up trees just didn't grow there. And that's where the grass grows. So that's where these, these uh, elk are feeding throughout the night and morning and evenings. And then we just do that to all the different meadows, right? Bounce, bounce throughout. And if we hear a bugle, let's say, we just drop what we're doing and we go straight for it. Nice. And how do you feel this year coming into year two of this spot again? Um, confidence level. Like how likely do you think you're like, Are you going in this? Like I'm going to get one. So here's what I'll say. I'm going to take my archery skills out of the equation right now. Cause you know, I'm a little shook for that, but from a, from a strategy standpoint and getting there, man, I, I feel like last year we had, I'm going to say three encounters. One of them I screwed up on and I think I moved and the, whatever was coming in saw me. The other one took us by surprise. And then the other encounter that we had, my buddy Ryan, uh, the broadhead hit the shoulder and there was zero, almost zero penetration. So so we're going a week later now. That's one week closer to the rut. So I think we're going to we're going to hear a lot more bugles. We're going to be able to make a lot more moves and a lot more adjustments and kind of know where the elk are at because of it just being one week closer to the rut. We're we're going to be there from the 6th or the, or the 7th and we're leaving on the 5th morning of the 15th. So however many days that is uh, of being able to try to locate where these animals are at and just that with knowing how the terrain lays and knowing what we did last year, I feel confident the group that I'm with will have another crack at a, a, a legal bull. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time, Seafoam Motor Treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that Seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. And it's really simple. When you pour it into your gas tank, Seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can into your gas tank and let it do its job. Now you probably know someone who's used a can of Seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. 
because people everywhere rely on it to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. So help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And as often is the case, those guys were on to something because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised, grass-fed, and finished cattle. Heart and Soil's unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean, convenient, taste-free capsule. Find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. Are you ready for the Sufferfest? The Sufferfest? Yeah, that being if someone kills one, getting it off the mountain. Right. So here's the cool part. Now it's still going to suck, but we go up from the cabin. That means that wherever we shoot, we're only going down Yeah. for the, for the most part. So it's not like I'm going to have to shoot it in this big gorge and then hike it 500 feet or 800 feet straight up. Now I don't know where this animal is going to die, but for the most part, everywhere that we were last year is a descent down to the camp yeah that's nice so it's not even like where we were in idaho where even when you're coming back there's still ups and downs all the way dude i have nightmares about that place (laughs) really oh dude i just remember like a grown man like you had been out there all summer and you were walking and you got those long ass legs and you were making it look easy. And here I was just like, I was whining like a baby. Oh, you had a rough, tough. you had a rough start, but you got there. Yeah. yeah. That's funny. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, I hope I I'm going with two other guys and I just hope, I mean, I'd love to kill three elk. I'm going to probably shoot for, a 400 incher. I think that's what <laughs> oh, is pretty. No, <laughs> I like that moderate expectations. <laughs> yeah, no, man. I think it's uh first elk that steps out in front of me. That's legal is going to get shot. So can you shoot a cow? Yep. So even if there's bugling around you and a cow steps uh, out 20 yards and it's like and, a gimme. And I don't know. It just depends on what kind of conversation I want to have with the wife. She's like, you went to Colorado <laughs> and didn't bring anything back again. Uh-huh. So it's like I can't share the whole story of how a cow was standing broadside at 20 yards, but right. you know, like 50 yards into the timber was a, a was a bull bugling right behind her, but he decided to never come out. You know, like I don't yeah. know. I, I guess I guess my answer to that question is I'll, I'll just probably play it by ear. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. So what's your North Dakota deal? Like, are you only shooting booners or what? Yeah, that's all I do now, uh, Dan. Is <laughs> just hold out for booners. <laughs> no, I'd say. Um, I have, I would love to shoot a four-year-old or older. Right. But if I get, it's going to be a lot dependent. I'm going to kind of take, I don't want to say inventory, but kind of take inventory of the situation when I get there the first few days. If I'm seeing like some really nice bucks, like I, I do believe there are mature bucks there that could be like really nice mature bucks. And if I'm seeing deer like that, I feel like I have enough time that I could work them and I could get a shot at, you know, a 140, 150 type four or five year old buck um, is what I would, you know, that'd be over the moon, super duper happy if something like that happened. But yeah. if the first couple of days I'm not seeing anything like that at all, if I'm just seeing, you know, three year olds, if basically I want to shoot like the top, you know, 5% of what's out there, the top 2% of what's out there. So if it's, if the best year I'm seeing are like three year olds that are 120 or something and, I'm hunting five, six days, and that's all I've seen. Then I'd be pretty happy shooting a nice three-year-old. Um, but that's pro- that's like the lowest. That's my floor. Um, like a really good three-year-old would be the floor. And I might not even, I don't know. I feel like 
even that might it'll be like an in the moment situation. I'm not sure. Um, yeah. More and more, it's like I just want that big bodied, obviously old buck. Um, yeah. But at the same time, sometimes you know, a buck's coming in and you get excited. And you're like, that's a good one, and you take the shot, and then ah, maybe he was three, but who cares? It was a cool experience. Yeah. Um, well, that's the thing. This is your first time ever hunting in North Dakota, right? Well, no, I hunted like two days last year. Oh, okay. So, you know, last year I killed that buck in Montana, and then I may I met up with Josh at this same place, and then for one night and one morning I glassed. We didn't see anything we wanted to hunt, and so then after that we pulled the plug, drove like an hour and a half or two hours to another spot, and then we hunted another. We glassed a night in the morning, and then we hunted a night in the morning, um, and and came close on a couple bucks at that new spot. But this this yeah. original place is just it's a really cool area. I know they're there. It's like a thorn in my side that we didn't figure it out last year. So I've got one, two. I've got two different glassing knobs that I've been to that I like as far as places where I can set up with a spotting scope and binoculars and glass like miles of river bottom and try to see something. If if nothing's happening there, I've got another area that I found on Onyx that is within hiking distance of one of those points. So I'm going to set up camp at one glassing knob and then hike in, cross a river, hike about two miles to get to this other area. And it just looks... Excuse me. It looks dynamite. Yeah. Last year, I drove around. There were some roads um, that you leave some public land, you get into private, and there were some like alfalfa fields in this private land, and this stretch of public land is on the other side of the river from that, so it's really hard to get to. But if I were to start in the public, hike two miles, I can get behind that private land where that alfalfa is, and I would just be shocked if there's not a whole bunch of deer in and around that. So that would be kind of brutal to hike in you know two plus miles every day in and out in and out but um that would be option c if a and b if the easier spots don't work out and then if that doesn't work out i've got a i've got probably seven or eight more places just marked on the map that i've never been but that look similar to these spots so you know basically i'm looking for places where there's public land that meets the river and then there's some good cover down along the river, which usually looks like cottonwood trees and cedars and like some willow brush and stuff like that. If you've got enough like that along these river bottoms, um, you usually have some whitetails in there. So right. I'll just bounce between every one of those. And, and basically the game plan is find a high spot, sit up there for a morning. You know, I won't, I won't hunt the mornings until I know there's actually a buck I want to hunt. Otherwise, I'll spend mornings glassing trying to find one. And this is that kind of location where you can just see long distances. Um, so I'm going to get there the night before opening day. So I'm going to glass the night before in my first like ideal location, glass the next morning. And then hopefully after those two scouting sessions, I'll know where to move into with the saddle for that first night's hunt. Um, and I'm going to keep on doing that. But I'm not going to be afraid to also like push in there. You know, like if the first couple nights for my glassing knob off the road, I can't see anything. I also think it's worth, you know, one of the things I talked to a friend of mine who's hunted this general area before, and he had talked about how a lot of the bucks he'd seen in the past had stuck closer to the river right in like this willow brush more than you might expect. Um, So part of me wonders if when I was hunting there last year or glassing there last year, I was just missing these deer that were right in the edge of the river working in that thick stuff. Like I'm talking like it maybe it's 10 yards on either side of the river, but it's yeah. thick. And so they might've been just working parallel to the river and you wouldn't see them unless you were actually down in the river bottom. And, uh, I want to explore that idea too and, yeah. uh, not write stuff off too quickly, but that's it. It's going to be spotting. Then I see something then I'm going to move in for the kill. Um, and then if that doesn't work out for a day or two, then I'll probably Retreat back, try to spot another area, try to locate something, move in. A lot of observation sits and then move in for the kill. Observation sit, move in for the kill. And right. do that for seven days and hopefully uh, get close enough to one eventually. Is this uh, a tag that you can, if you run into a mule deer buck, you can shoot one of those too? No, this is whitetail only. Okay, whitetail only. Okay. Yeah, but that's fine with me. Yeah. Um, that's awesome, man. I'm a sucker for the whitetails. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's just a fun it's a fun way to hunt. So you know, they're so visible. These are big, wide open landscapes, and just the prettiest country you could ever ask for. So, 
Yeah, and in solo. I mean, I've done a handful, quite a few of these solo trips now. It's it's at times it seems like it's lonely, but other times like I really like. You know, you just hike in, hunt, hike back to the truck. It's dark. You get back to the truck. I just crack a beer or a drink or something. Sit in the tailgate. It's dark. There's nothing but the stars out. Just kind of yeah. be able to sit there with your thoughts and sleeping, sleeping back. Wake up early the next morning. Get perched up on a ledge with some coffee and glass a whole valley and do that for a week you kind of refine yourself i think kind of brings you yeah. back down to to your center so i tell you one of that was one of my favorite things about hunting um in nebraska when i went out there in the sand hills and i i'm assuming it's going to be a little bit like this with south dakota is just the vastness and being able to see a long ways with no man-made structures it makes you kind of realize how small and insignificant that we are in this whole grand scheme of things, right? How small, like in Iowa, there's trees everywhere where I hunt. You can't, you can't necessarily see a long ways unless you get out West of the state or to a high point, but like out there you can see until you can't see anymore. If that makes sense. Like your eyes, your eyes don't have the ability to see further than what they're seeing. And that makes me feel small and i i love that feeling i'm absolutely right there with you definitely definitely love those wide open vistas and uh and kind (laughs) of feeling insignificant in the bigger scheme of things yeah so with that said let's wrap this up with one parting word of advice to all of our fellow hunters listening their seasons, everyone's seasons are kicking off here soon. So this is our, our parting words to take into your first hunts of the year. Dan, what do you want to leave folks with? It's, it's, dude, it's easy. Have fun. Like we think about this all the time, like all the time. And I've kind of realized over the past couple of years is if you're, if you are putting any additional pressure on yourself to do anything it has to do with killing this an animal. Sometimes pressure is good. Sometimes you need that little kick in the butt to go accomplish something like move a tree stand or whatnot. But overall, it, it's got to be fun. Like, and for me, I just love doing this from a fun standpoint that I just want everybody to like take a deep breath and just realize why we do this. And I, I think that the, the older I get and the more I do it, it's not about inches and it's not about even age class those are things that I look for, but it's not why I do it. And if you can, if, if you can just embrace that, that feeling, I think you're going to have a lot more fun in the woods. Very, very wise words. I will jump off of that with the kind of the opposite advice, but, but, (laughs) but related. Only shoot giants. (laughs) No, no. (laughs) What I would say is definitely have fun. Right. But, realize that it's not always going to be fun like stuff will go wrong so my advice will be when the shit hits the fan when something inevitably goes wrong when you miss that buck of a lifetime when you get your tree stand stolen when someone trespasses and blows up the farm just remember that everyone has that stuff happen the best hunters out there it happens to them all it's the people that push through it that eventually reach their goal. So just know like, all right, that happened as quickly as you can let that water pass under the bridge and you move on and take that next step, yep. the more quickly you can get to having fun again. Do not let that stuff break you. It's so easy for that stuff to stress you out and take the fun out of it. I've been there. I think you have too, Dan, yep. where something goes wrong and your plans get screwed up and you're not reaching your goals and you're not seeing the bucks and you've hunted seven days straight and you're miserable and like, man, screw this shit. And then you want to give up. Try to as quickly as possible when that crappy stuff happens, like recognize like, all right, that sucked. That was a huge bummer, but I'm not going to let that impact me from this point forward at that point then you gotta let it go you gotta stop pointing back to it you gotta stop blaming it you gotta stop letting that thing hang over you and instead it's okay now what can i do next what's the next step i can take to move back towards that fun thing to move back towards that goal i had and i think that that will lead to type two fun so in the moment you're pushing through some crap but if you push through it and you make it to the other side it will be really fun 
looking back and knowing that you were able to get through it. And you maybe you accomplished your goal. Maybe you killed that deer or whatever it is you're trying to do. Maybe you didn't, but it will still be fun to be able to look back and say, dang it, I, I left it all on the field. I right. gave it my best, and that was a pretty cool thing too. So that would yeah. be... That would be my suggestion. Keep yeah. keep all that in mind. Get after it and have a damn good time. Amen. Amen. Well, good luck on your uh, North Dakota hunt, man. Um, Keep me posted. Thank you, Dan. Good luck on your elk hunt. I will probably not be home before you leave. So this is goodbye for both of us. <laughs> I hope we return safely. <laughs> and let's record a podcast after each of our hunts and uh, share our wild success stories, right? Hey, I like that. Fingers crossed. Hey, I take that. uh, What? I can't do that, buddy. (laughs) Okay, let's try toes crossed. Toes (laughs) crossed for Dan. (laughs) Just imagine if you could cross your toes. You'd have some long-ass toes, man. You can't cross your toes? I'm crossing my toes right now. You must have some long-ass toes. I do have long toes. My wife says I have finger toes. That's gross. I just imagined how long you're... Okay, shut it down. (laughs) And that's a wrap. How long my what is? (laughs) And that is a wrap. Hope you enjoyed this one. Um, Both Dan and I obviously are very excited for the first hunts of the year. And as you're listening to this, my hunt's actually in the middle or possibly wrapping up here very soon. So I will have reports for you very shortly. Um, if you haven't been already following along on Wired Hunt's Instagram account, definitely check that out because I'm posting daily updates there as I go along, letting you know everything that's happening. So until next time, best of luck if you are out there hunting too. And until next time, stay wired to hunt. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more.